Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. My co-host, Chase McCallum, is once again not with us. He will be returning soon, but it will not be until next week. Uh, so stay tuned for that. However, in his place, I'm very excited for our guest today. We are going to be doing likely a two-parter. Today is the Eastern Conference of the playoffs with all the matchups already set as we record on a beautiful Friday night. Uh, he is a NHL writer for CBS Sports. Chris Bengal. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going tonight, man? Yeah, pretty good. Can't complain. Uh, we're a couple days from the playoffs, so I'm pretty pumped and ready to get to it. It's a little strange not having any hockey on a weekend. Eh? I don't know if that's just how the schedule lined up or or what happened there, but it, it feels weird with no hockey on a Saturday or Sunday to get rolling on the Monday. Well, it's funny because I was doing some preview stuff earlier today and realized that the playoffs started at the beginning of May last year. I didn't remember that at all. Just seems a little odd that it's so early this year, it seems like. But I mean, whatever, I guess. So we're not going until july almost for the final so whatever. yeah exactly it, it's still been an adjustment period from covid right where the the bubble season kind of threw everything That's off true. and then so i'm assuming they'll probably because i know they used to like to start around the first week of april so they could get it wrapped up near the the first week of june even so i would assume we'll work back to that next year but yeah that would make sense i mean yeah like you said they are still playing catch up because we you know Every year was bumped up, and then we had that half a year that started in January and all that. So, I mean, we're finally semi back to normal, but I feel like maybe next year they'll finally get there. So they should yeah. be pretty much right on the money. But exactly, and another off season where they probably cut a week or two, week off preseason, maybe a week off the off season, and we'll be there. Right. But, uh, yeah, we, we got playoff. There's two more games tonight. So obviously, as we're recording, we, we decided to start with the East because it's 730 Eastern time here and uh, the Avalanche play at eight. So that's still a game that um, will determine two more playoff series over in the West. But in the East, we know who is playing and uh, we know the start dates for for most of the series anyways. So uh, let's start with the wild card, the, the one and eight seed. Uh, I, I think that's the best place to start. They're starting on Monday. The Florida Panthers make their way into the playoffs after an up and down season, but they do make their way into the playoffs with uh, 92 points in 82 games to face the Boston Bruins, who have had one of, if not the best regular season in NHL history, 135 points in 82 games, 65 wins, just 12 uh, losses in regulation and five in overtime. Uh, they had finished the year 9-1-0 on an eight-game winning streak. Uh, they have 177, or sorry, 305 goals for, so 177 goals against for an astonishing difference of 128. The next best team in the league isn't even at 100 um, for, for goal difference. Like the, the next best team I'm looking now, and it looks like it is the Dallas Stars at 67. And then the Edmonton Oilers at 65. So like that just talks about the magnitude of this Boston Bruins team at 128 goal differential. Um, obviously a bit of a David versus Goliath situation, but the Florida Panthers were the president's trophy winner last year. You know, I, I think it's obvious who we're going to favor in the matchup. We'll go through forwards, defense and goalies anyways, but just right off the top, when you look at this matchup, are you excited for it? Do you think Florida does have a chance to make this a series? You know, it's interesting. Um, obviously, like you said, it's going to be David versus Goliath. No one's going to give the Bruins any shadow of a chance in this series. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but if you really look at it, 
one of the biggest stories for Boston this year has been how good Linus Allmark has been. And, you know, 1.89 goals against, I mean, he's going to win the Vesna. It's a foregone conclusion, I feel like, at this point. And, you know, in his two starts against Florida this year, they were able to get to him a little bit. He gave up six goals in those two games, three goals in each game. So I feel like that's one of the things that I'm going to be looking looking at the most when it comes to this series, if he's ever actually human, if they're able to get to him at all, because it's not like Florida doesn't have a potent offense. I mean, you've got playmakers like Sasha Barkov, like Matthew Kachuk, who, you know, if Connor McDavid wasn't playing out of his mind this year, I think Matthew Kachuk is right there in the heart trophy conversation without a doubt. So, you know, I think it's going to be a really interesting series. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how Florida kind of comes out, how they try to combat, you know, what Boston does so well. And, you know, I'm definitely excited for this one. I don't think, I think, you know, obviously Boston has the upper hand, but I think it's going to be an interesting one for sure. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, it's going to be one where Boston is rightfully favored, but I, I do wonder how Florida is going to attack this because they are one of the most offensive happy teams in the league in terms of their shot generation anyways. You know, they they ranked third in both Corsi 4 per 60 and expected goals per 60 this year. Um, you know, obviously those didn't always translate on the ice, and I do think that, you know, their bulk of chances this year were maybe a little a, a little bit affected because their bottom six definitely doesn't have as much shooting talent as we've seen in past years, you know, especially last year when they loaded up to go for it. They obviously lost some pieces, but I, I do think it'll be interesting to see if uh, Florida just goes, okay, we like our depth up front. Let's just go run and gun with them and see if Boston can keep up because, you know, up front, the, the Panthers are running out. Uh, it's going to be some combo of Verhage, Barkov, Sam Reinhardt, uh, Matthew Kachuk, Anton Lundell, and uh, Lusta Reinen, I believe his, na- his name's pronounced, uh, in that top six. Ryan Lomberg, Eric Stahl, Anthony Duclair. Duclair could also slide up and do a top six role. Uh, Nick Cousins, Colin White, Giovanni Smith. Um, you know, I- again, not it's not like they're loaded with depth, but that top six is very dangerous when you let them get their chances. And as you said, Matthew Kachuk has been a man on a mission this year. Uh, You know, I I think the biggest key both these ways is going to be staying out of the box because both these teams have a lot of high end talent, especially up front. And if you take too many penalties, I, I, you know, I I could see that burning you. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I mean, even if you just, I mean, it's kind of a meaningless game for Florida last night anyway, but um Kachuk kind of gets himself in a little bit of hot water, taking a cheap shot at Jordan Stahl, I believe it was, and it ends up in the box and, you know, took another swing. Maybe it's a double minor or something like that. Like, those are the kind of situations that Florida can't be in because if you give Boston that extra opportunity, like, you're just going to get burned. You just can't give a team that's that good that, you know, those extra opportunities. Well, Boston doesn't have an elite power play, they – you know, converted, I think it was around 22% of their chances, you know, not, they're not the Oilers or the Maple Leafs or one of the teams at the top, but they're still a team that's going to take advantage of those um, opportunities on the power play. So, you know, Florida just can't, they just have to be as disciplined as humanly possible. I also think um, Sergei Bobrowski is going to have to be better. He kind of came on in the second half of the year. And then over the last month, he's had a couple games where he's let in four or five goals. 
that kind of thing just can't happen. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think if they can stay disciplined, they at least have a puncher's chance in this one. And, you know, maybe they steal a game, maybe they steal two games at home if, you know, they're able to play the way they're capable of. Yeah, I I think for Florida, it's almost as much not – it's maybe not as much that the power play of Boston is going to kill you, but you know that you're going to be in tough every night, five on five, where you're almost likely going to get outplayed at five on five, just with how good Boston is at even strength, where, you know, you're already going to be on the back foot, having to play your best game at even strength. You can't get, take stupid penalties to give them free advantages on the power play, you know? No, it's absolutely true. I mean, yeah, I mean, even without a, elite power play doesn't matter in the playoffs you're facing a good team they're going to take advantage of those opportunities and you know David Pasternak didn't score 61 goals for no reason you know and even you know some of the like Marshawn didn't had what you consider kind of a down year even though he didn't miss a ton of time um you know they just have way too much firepower up and down especially in their top six, but even beyond guys that can put the puck in the net guys from the blue line that can put the puck in the net. So, you know, if Florida is definitely going to have their hands full as well as, you know, every team throughout the playoffs, if Boston, you know, makes a run at this and, you know, looks as lethal as they have throughout the regular season. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's why I really do enjoy that they went out and got Tyler Bertuzzi at the deadline. You know, they obviously had an amazing team before it, but they said, no, let's go get some more depth insurance. And now you have Taylor Hall playing with like Charlie Coyle or Pavel Zak on your third line or David Krejci, if you want to put him down there and you can mix and match where it's like, no, there's not many third lines in the league that are going to be able to, to compete with that, you know, where you have a DeBrusque, Bergeron, Marchand top line. Bertuzzi, um, Zach is there right now, but Krejci's day-to-day. Maybe you want to put Krejci there, passed on the second line. Like, that's already an elite top six. And you have Taylor Hall, Pavel, Zaka, Charlie Coyle on your third line. AJ Greer, Trent Frederick, Garnet Hathaway is more of a, a checking fourth line. Like, it's just so deep. And, you know, you brought up Bobrovsky, and that's a really good point, is he's going to have to be the X factor as he... As probably, I think it's a good argument. He's been the X factor for since he got to Florida in net, and usually it's come out uh, on the wrong side of things. Unfortunately for Florida, with him, with that just over the the span of that contract. But you know, um, there's just unfortunately it's going to be Bobrovsky or bust. Like I, I just don't see, you know, was it Alex Lyon had a had a pretty good ten game stretch there near the end of the year, but you can't be trusting on him to be beating the 135 point Boston Bruins four times. So um, it'll be interesting to see if this Bruins depth can overwhelm them because yeah, like they are such a deep team on at all positions, really. No, they really are. I mean, there's, there's no denying it. I mean, if Borowski is going to give up four or five goals a shot, like he's given up, I think it's 13 over his last three. I mean, you have no chance if that's the case, because even more so than most teams, the Bruins can hang six, seven on anybody, you know, if the goaltending, if the defense is not up to par. So I just think if if he is kind of brutal the way he has been at times, you know, kind of not living up to that big contract, then I think Florida is going to be in a situation where it could be over in four if that ends up happening. Yeah, I definitely agree. And then, so, you know, 
we move to the next part, and this is where I'm really worried for Florida because I think this is the biggest mismatch. Maybe you maybe argue goaltending as well, but I, I do think we've at least seen the peaks from Sergei Bobrovsky where it doesn't make me as worried sometimes, but defense is where I really think that uh, um, Boston outshines Florida here. Florida's defense, they got Gustav Forsling, Aaron Ekblad, Mark Stahl, Brandon Montour, Josh Mahora, and Radku Gudis. Um, you know, Montour had a really good year this year. He put up a ton of points, but you know, I, I'm not the, I don't think Mark Stahl on your second pair in 2023 is the most ideal thing in the world. And even Aaron Ekblad has struggled at times this year. And then you go up on the other side where they go and pick up Dmitry Orlov at the deadline, another absolutely amazing uh, addition. Cause you got then Charlie McAvoy for my money is one of the most underrated defensemen in the league. Um, and Hampus Lindholm, who's played like an absolute stud this year alongside Brandon Carlo. And then that third uh, third pairing, you got Matt Grizzlick and Connor Clifton, uh, as well as I, I Derek Forbert's on the IR right now. I don't know if he'll draw in as well, but they definitely have options on defense for if anyone goes down. Like, again, this is just, and Jacob Zaborl as well. Um, this is just such a deep team, but this is the biggest mismatch of the series, in my opinion, is how deep the Boston Bruins core defense core is and how well-rounded it is versus there's a fair amount of questions, I think, on the Florida Panthers side of things. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, if you look at even just last season, the guys they that Florida added at the deadline, um, Ben Sherrod and, um, you know, obviously having Mackenzie Weger still in the fold, guys like that that they depended on, and now not having that type of talent there. Like you said, Mar- I mean – Mark Stull at age 36 in 2023 is probably not a guy you want in your top four blue liners. So, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's going to be a big cause for concern. I mean, I think, you know, Ekblad's had his moments, but I mean, he's solid enough where I think him and Forsling will be fine or at least, you know, be able to hold their own. I mean, stopping Boston is obviously one of the more difficult tests around anyway. So no matter how good, you are on the blue line, it's still going to be tough to slow that kind of team down. But I just think if, if they're going to get burnt somewhere, it might be in that second pairing with Mark Stahl. I mean, I think Montour will be fine and he gives you a ton offensively, which is great. They're going to need that. But I just think that yeah, having Stahl there, I think that's really rolling the dice. That's a spot where surprised they didn't try to, grab someone at the deadline, you know, kind of a kind of a low, low risk, high reward type, you know, for a low draft pick, something like that to kind of put stall either down to the third pairing or kind of push him out. Cause I think at this point, I mean, he's got 15 points on the year. It's not like he's, he's been phenomenal by any stretch of the imagination. So I think that's, that's probably going to be the biggest question mark. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where, you know, at the deadline, it's funny because I think they were kind of not sure what they wanted to do, if they want to go in, if they want to go out and they barely had cap space as it is, you know, they kind of dug their team right now. So it'll be interesting. I, uh, is there anything else you were specifically going to keep an eye on for this series? Is there any player or, or tactic or anything that sticks out or you think we've, we've covered it pretty much? Um, they covered it for the most part. I mean, um, I just think, like I said, I think, I think the goaltending matchup is where it's at for me. That's the biggest, that's the biggest X factor for me because, you know, if you look at Allmark last year in the playoffs, I mean, it's just two games and that's, you know, all he's had in his career. 
but he did have a 4.16 ERA, gave up eight goals in total. He did struggle a little bit. Obviously, this is a Bruins team that's completely different, so I'm not drawing a ton from that, but I'm interested to see, you know, how he comes out, you know, if there's any type of jitters, anything like that, um, or if he's just as elite as he's been all year. And then, like we've hammered home on Bobrowski, he's going to need to be be really good for the Panthers to have a chance. So I think, you know, what each team gets out of their goaltender is going to decide the series. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that, just with more on the Panther side with Bobrowski, just because he's struggled so much. I think that's where that's the biggest X factor for Florida. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, give me a, a series prediction here. If Boston plays the way they're capable of, sure, it could be a sweep, but I'll go I'll go Bruins in five. I'll say Panthers steal one on their home ice, and uh, but Bruins get it done in five. I'm I'm on the same wavelength there. I'm uh, completely agreeing. I was debating if I say Boston in six, but I, I definitely think, yeah, five seems right. I think I could see Matthew Kachuk, and, you know, if Bobrovsky just plays pretty well for one game, I can see Matthew Kachuk, you know, steal, and Barkov maybe stealing a game by themselves. But I, I just think this Boston team is way too deep that it's going to be hard to beat them more than once. And, you know, I, I just – this Florida team, it'll be interesting to see what they do this summer to try and retool, but I, I think they they – are a better team maybe than they showed. I, I just don't feel like they it's their year for it, you know? No, I, I agree. I think, you know, I think it could it could go six, but the Panthers would have to play their absolute best. Bobrovsky would have to have at least two to three games where he stands on his head and they'd have to take at least one or two of those games and steal at least one in Boston. And I just don't, I'd be very surprised if that happened. Um, so I just think it's so hard to sweep teams in this day and age. So, I mean, I don't think I would go that route, but I think five feels, feels like the fair prediction there. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, all right, let's go to the other wild card series. Then we have the New York Islanders finishing in the seven seed Carolina hurricanes wrap things up in game 82, uh, beating the devils by just a singular point, uh, and take the second seed in the. Eastern Conference, the Carolina Hurricanes go 52, 21, and 9 for 113 points, plus 53 goal differential, 266 to 213. Uh, the New York Islanders, on the flip side of things, go 42, 31, and 9, 243 goals for 222 against, so plus 21 on the season. And you want to talk about, we were talking about goaltending matchup last time. Oh boy, this is going to be another interesting one as well. Um, I'm going to run through the, the well, let's start from the goalies out because I, I really do feel like you know, obviously it's easy to say goaltending is going to be the biggest factor in any playoff matchup. It's a four to seven game series, right? But more so than anything else, I think goaltending is an easy way to define, especially one of these teams. Um, you know, you know, you had mentioned that uh, Olmark probably is the favorite for the Vesna, and I don't uh, don't disagree. But I think if anyone has a claim to knock him off that throne, it might be this guy, Nelia Sorokin, who has been an absolute rock for the New York Islanders this year. Um, that dragged this team at parts of times, kicking and screaming into the playoffs. Um, he has been absolutely solid. Let's start with the goaltending. Sorokin versus who do you put on the other side for Carolina? Because they have three legitimate options, you could probably argue. Who would you lean with and who do you think they're going to lean with here? It's really, it's really strange. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen, like you often see, you know, like you have a team like 
obviously we'll get to later, like Minnesota, that's got two good goaltenders. I mean, that happens. You have, you know, maybe you have an older veteran and a younger guy. They, you know, kind of have a tandem thing going. But with here, you have, you know, Frederick Anderson, you have Ranta, you have Gochekov. I, I would assume they'll go with Frederick Anderson. That would be where I would lean. But I mean, if it were me, I feel like Kuchekov has been he's been good this year when he's had those opportunities and you know he went down to the AHL he's played well down there too like I just feel like his potential is through the roof and I don't even think they've really scratched the surface on how good he could potentially be and when Anderson was out for the first you know a couple months of the season you know he was really good and he was you know he was starting the majority of those games and you know, playing really well, had a, you know, goals against under two and a half, like really solid numbers. And, you know, I just think that that's kind of where I would lean just because he gives you more of a chance to have like that brick wall type performance where he's going to shut down um, the opposing team. Now, obviously the Islanders are not, you know, an absolute juggernaut offensively, but um, still, I think, that's where that's where I would go at least, but for some reason I don't know. I kind of think Rod Brindamore is going to go Frederick Anderson and go with the veteran here. Yeah, I uh, I was hoping I'd have a little more to disagree with you on, so we could go back and <laughs> forth. But no, I, I think you've you've hit the nail right on the head again. I I completely agree. I think it probably will be Anderson, just given his history in terms of being the starter, being the guy, quote unquote, that they brought in and. And, you know, uh, I, I think you can still make an argument that when healthy, he's played all right as well. But the problem is he's never healthy. Um, but, yeah, I, I would be more than open to seeing the Kachekov uh, a chance as well, because I really do think he's earned it throughout the year. Um, you know, and honestly, you could make an argument that Antti Ranta should be second in line after that. And Frederick mm-hmm. Anderson should be third just because he hasn't played that well this year. Um, and, you know, some of that is health. It, it's not uh, all all uh, Frederick Anderson's fault by any means, but, you know, just be even past the basic metrics. If you, you know, look into goal saved above expected, uh, evolving hockey's got Kachekov at 10.71 through 24 games played Ranta at 5.48 through 27 and Anderson through 2.59 through 34 games played. So they've all been like above average to pretty good, but yeah, I think to me, you know, Sorokin is almost guaranteed to give the Islanders high upside goaltending. Like you are going to have to beat a guy who is very likely going to be on his game. Let's say the series goes seven, six out of seven games for sure. I think you should be trying to match high upside with high upside for that. And that's why I think Kachekov gives you where maybe you feel a little bit more steady with the baseline of Frederick Anderson, but I just don't know if the high end games are there quite as often. So I think I would like shoot. And again, you, you uh, don't definitely correct whether it's not like this Islanders team is an offensive juggernaut or anything like that, but I, I would still want to try and play safe and just uh, go with the guy I know gives me the highest upside of winning games in bulk at a time. And I think that is Kachekov, but I, I think it'll be Frederick Anderson in the start. I just wonder how short of a leash they will put on him because I cannot imagine it'll be a very long one. No, I mean, I think, I think they would be doing themselves a disservice if, you know, if they go with Anderson out of the gate and then say, you know, he puts up a brutal game in game one, gives up four or five goals, something you know, or gives up a couple in the opening period, 
some case like that. But if you're if you're going to give him a lot of leeway, I just don't I don't think that that's smart at all. And just given that, you know, Kachekov has so much potential and I think is the type of goalie that can shut down an opposing team. I mean, I think we don't necessarily know what Islanders were getting. Is is Matthew Barzell going to play? He is confirmed apparently for game one, but who knows how healthy that's going to be, right? Right. That's, I mean, you have no, is he going to, you know, is he going to be on, you know, limited ice time? Like, who knows? Um, So I think obviously with him in the lineup, that gives the Islanders more of a chance um, in the series. But again, you know, you don't know what he's going to be. But I just think that Anderson, you know, I mean, didn't even play last year in the postseason, just can never seem to stay healthy. That's kind of been his, you know, the story with him the last couple of years. And I just think if, you know, if he struggles out of the gate, I think, you know, Brad Brindamore would be foolish not to, even if they want to go with Ranta instead, I think, you know, whatever option they view is the better one. I mean, Ranta does have, the postseason experience was there last year and played pretty well for the most part. I mean, so I don't think you can go wrong with him or Kachekov, but I just think that Anderson can't, he can't be given a lot of leeway here. No, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, if they want to switch topics on this series, the next thing I look at in terms of storylines for Carolina is this is probably the last team I would have wanted to match up with if I was the Hurricane, simply because of how good Sorokin is. And I, I think there's two factors to that, the story for Carolina. Uh, and the first is what I'm going to go with is called uh, expected versus reality. Uh, this Carolina Hurricanes team has been an absolute dog when it comes to underlying metrics. They're first in Corsi 4 per 60, first in Corsi against per 60, first in expected goals for per 60, and first in expected goals against per 60. However... They rank 13th in actual goals for per 60 at five on five. And a large part of that is because when you go and look at their IR right now, Andre Kasha, who is supposed to be, you know, a good middle six piece for them. Max Pacioretty, who are they hoping going to be a top six scoring winger? And Andre Andrei Svechikov, obviously, out as well for the season, who is their, you know, one of their top line wingers and and best goal scorers on the team too so this team has taken an absolute beating when it comes to you know some of their depth and and i still actually do genuinely enjoy their forward depth compared to other teams you know Tavo teravainen sebastian aho seth jarvis up top love that front line stefan knows him on your second line not ideal uh cockney i martin nikash is having a great season but cockney and no knows in on your second line Maybe not the most ideal thing in the world, but then Martin Nuke, Jordan Stahl, Jesper Fast, decent third line, and Jack Drury, Paul Statsy, and Jesse Pugliarvi is a very good defensive fourth line as well. So, um, you know, considering they have two legit top six wingers and a pretty solid bottom six winger out of their roster for the rest of the season, this forward depth looks better than, you know, it probably should. But the big thing to me is going to be, we know they're going to be able to generate some chances. Can they actually capitalize on that chances with the shooting talent that they have? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's completely, you know, plausible to think, to worry about if the goals are going to come with them. I mean, even if you're just talking about, you know, a standard statistic, they're 15th in goals per game, just over three a game. They're just not not an explosive team and sure you know 
they were counting on Max Pacioretty for the second half of the year. And he plays, you know, five games this year before the Achilles and, you know, losing Svechnikov, who was also having a good year is, is going to be tough for any team to lose two of their top six forwards, you know, um, before you even get to the playoffs. So, you know, it's definitely, it definitely wasn't an ideal scenario for them, but at the same time, they're going to have to score because I'm not going to be surprised at all if Sorokin has at least one or two games where he's just, you know, that brick wall, you know, just, you know, stops 35 or 36, something like that. And just just completely, you know, look a guy that you can't get the puck past. Cause like you said, he does, he does deserve to be in that Vesna conversation for sure. I think he is probably the, probably one of the only other goalies that I would put right there with uh, Allmark as far as the year that he's had. He's, you know, was strong last year as well, but just like a completely different level this year, it seems like. And, you know, without, with the Islanders not being an incredibly offensively deep team, I mean, Horvat comes over, but then, you know, Barzil is out for, you know, until now. I think that it's going to be it's going to be a situation where which goalie is going to play better again and I think the Islanders have the sp- far superior goaltender here. Yeah, for sure. They they definitely have a massive edge there. Um, you know, I could see this being a pretty low scoring series, uh, just, you know, obviously with Sorokin and net. And then, yeah, you run through the Islanders offense. It's it's looked a lot better since Bo Horvat's come over. But Anders Lee, Bo Horvat, Matthew Barzell. And again, who knows what uh, what kind of percentage Barzell is going to be playing at. Pierre Engvall, who's been a, a sneaky good pickup for them, but, you know, obviously not a game breaker. Brock Nelson, Kyle Palmieri, and then Zach Parise, John Gabriel Pajot, Hudson Fashing, and then the classic fourth line of Matt Martin, Casey Sezikis, Cal Clutterbuck. Um, again, it's just not a lot that gets you excited on paper, but they always, all of them work hard and they just kind of grind. And I think, you know, if there's one place Carolina's going to have to be really careful of this Islanders offense, it's on that counterattack. You know, um, it's this isn't a team that is necessarily as trappy as they have been under past years, you know, when uh, they were playing very defensively we'll we'll say they've been a little more open this year but I, I think if there's one way this New York Islanders team is going to burn you it's either going to be wearing you down obviously with the cycle but you know catching you asleep a little bit where they get numbers in transition and I, I just kind of think back to um would have been three years ago, I guess now, when they swept the Pittsburgh Penguins. And it was just all counterattacks. They took advantage of it, scored, you know, using their numbers. And that's the kind of thing. I think if you're Carolina, you got to be really careful. Make sure your third forward staying high to try and avoid that. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, they're, you know, even outside of their top six, the Islanders, they have decent depth more so than I think people want to admit. I mean, I don't think anyone saw 38-year-old Zach Parise scoring 21 goals this year at all. I mean, but, I mean, guys like that, guys like Peugeot, like, you know, they just have these solid forwards towards the, you know, third and fourth lines that are going to be capable of putting the puck in the net if Carolina's not careful. And, you know, Carolina's defense is solid, but it's, I don't think, by any means elite. Um, more, you know, offensive minded, I think, if anything. So I just I really do think the Islanders, if they can get some of that secondary scoring, you know, from guys that aren't, you know, 
Brock Nelson or um, Barzell or Bo Horvat, then that's going to go a long way. I could see there definitely being a couple like two to one type games. Maybe a couple of these games go to overtime. I mean, maybe even a one nothing game. I wouldn't be shocked at something like that either. So I think it's definitely going to depend a lot on what, you know, what offense is able to make those key plays. That's able to capitalize on the four check, get, get in deep and create those opportunities because I think there's not going to be a lot of goals scored here. It doesn't seem like. Yeah. And, and from the Carolina perspective, I kind of wonder how they use Brent Burns on the, on the defensive side of things, because, you know, he's a guy I definitely worry about getting maybe burned a little bit if it gets into a, a bit of a track meet, you know, just given his age. And it's not like he's ever been the fleetest of foot, we'll say, um, you know, obviously he's a more offensive minded kind of guy moving the puck up. Whereas, you know, the Islanders, uh, they, they have a pretty well-rounded decor, Adam Pellick, Ryan Pulak, the classic, just solid underrated top pair. I would say probably, you know, again, not elite, but very, very good, um, you know, especially for a top pair. Sebastian Aho, Scott Mayfield, and then Samuel Bullduck and Noah Dobson as well. So uh, a pretty well-rounded decor. I would say, you know, both their decors are both uh, just kind of in that good category, you know, like I, not, you know, Carolina's definitely not what it was four or five years ago when, you know, they really did look like they were boasting one of the def- best defensive cores in the league. But I don't think it'll be an issue for either team either. It's just... It's going to be who can help get their forwards the puck up a little more to, you know, yeah, try and try and provide a little bit more offense in what might be a low scoring series. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's I don't think there's any any doubt that there's just the, the opportunities aren't going to be abundant, I guess I would say, um, in this one. But um, you know, I, I don't mind Carolina's defense as much. I mean, the fact that, you know, they have a couple guys that are, you know, primarily offensive minded. I don't, I mean, Goss Despair is never going to be confused for a guy that's an elite defensive defenseman by any means. Um, so, you know, and, you know, you bring up an interesting point with Burns. Who who knows what, if they're able to catch him, you know, in a two-on-one situation, uh, that's where I think, there's a potential for the Islanders to, you know, grab a cheap goal, something like that. Um, because I mean, you're talking about a guy that is 38 years old. That's, you know, never been, you know, an elite defensive defenseman anyway, you know, he's always be known more for putting the puck in the net and putting the puck on net, you know, setting up his teammates, what have you. So, um, you know, it's, this is definitely, Maybe one of the more interesting series. I mean, obviously, if the injuries aren't there for Carolina, it's probably a little, you know, I'd lean with, you know, maybe it's over a little quicker. But I think now it's completely up in the air with the fact that the Hurricanes are, you know, a tad shorthanded. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going Hurricanes in seven for that exact reason, because I think it's. You know, obviously the injuries are going to hurt them. I do think the Hurricanes are the better team, obviously, but Ilya Sorokin in the playoff series scares me, especially when he's playing a Frederick Anderson slash we don't really know. You know, that 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 would scare me a little bit, and I think Sorokin wins one or two by himself. So uh, I'm going to go Carolina Hurricanes in seven games. What do you got here? I'll go, I'll go Carolina Hurricanes. I'll go in six. I mean, I won't be surprised if it goes seven. Um, but I'll go six, I think their offense will do enough. Um, like you said, I'm not going to be surprised if Sorokin, 
I, I will add pencil and Sorokin for at least one superhuman game where, you know, he stops 30 plus shots and maybe only allows one goal, maybe even gets a shutout. But I think that, you know, as long as Carolina gets decent goaltending throughout the series, I think it's they can definitely take this one, whether it's in six or seven. But I'll, I'll go six and, uh, you know, be a little contrarian here. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Carolina just needs to get above, like, not bad goaltending, basically. If they get average or better, I do feel really good about this roster still that they can they can outplay this Islanders team. Um, so there's two series done halfway through. We'll move on to the next series. But first, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 replaces key health products in one simple scoop. AG1 combines nine health products working together as one, replacing your multivitamin, multiminerals, pre- and probiotics, immunity support, and more. That means AG1 does more for your body and saves you time, money, and confusion compared to taking multiple unique products. Simply follow the link in the show description to get started today. All right, so we have covered two of the series. Let's go on to the divisional series now, and uh, let's start in the Metro. The New Jersey Devils will play host to the New York Rangers. Uh, The New Jersey Devils, definitely a surprising team, I think, to most. If you would have said that they would have finished with 100-plus points and and been hosting a playoff series at the start of this year. But, um, you know, they obviously started right hot off the gate and and never gave up to the point where they had a chance at home ice going into Game 82, but the Carolina Hurricanes closed it out uh, instead. But um, absolutely amazing uh, season from the Devils, 52-22-8. Um, you know, 112 points. I believe that was a franchise record. I think they set 291 goals for 226 against for a plus 65 goal differential. Uh, the New York Rangers started slow. They had an opposite start. They started very slow, but really picked it up down the stretch. 47, 22 and 13 overtime losses. Uh, for the New York Rangers, they uh, finished with 107 points, 277 goals for, 219 against for a plus minus of 58 goals on the plus 58 on the season. Um, I'm really excited for this series. I'm not going to lie. I think this has the potential to be one of the better series of the entire first round. Um, you know, it, it shouldn't shock anyone just looking at where both these teams finished in the standings. Um, but where do you want to start with this one? Because I think this has the potential to be a very exciting series. I mean, I've said, you know, since this looked like it was, a, you know, it was going to be, you know, I guess initially it looked like it, it might be, might be hurricanes might be devils whoever wins the metro but i think n- once it was set in stone last night that it was going to be devils and rangers kind of got really excited about this one because i think this has got the potential to be the most entertaining series of the opening round um it's it's almost kind of a shame that one of these teams is not going to move on because they're both a ton of fun to watch just the talent is oozing from both of these rosters. Um, you know, when you talk about the devils, I don't think anyone expected them to be here quite this soon. I mean, the biggest issue it seemed like with Jack Hughes was always, can he stay healthy? Can he stay on the ice? Um, first couple of years, you know, that was basically the only thing that was holding them back. And then this year, um, you know, finally able to still help stay healthy ends up with uh, scoring 43 goals, you know, almost a hundred points. He just showed that potential that everyone knew that he definitely had. And 
the Devils kind of saw all those high draft picks that they've accumulated over the last several years kind of finally put it together and come to fruition. Nico Hirscher find a, finally, you know, having a big year, 80-point season. Jasper Bratt, like just a ton of these guys that they had spent these high picks on and would were hoping that they were going to turn into stars kind of, it seemed like, blossomed around the same time and all, was almost, you know, kind of a perfect storm and this team is going to be a really tough out um against the Rangers I think yeah fully agree like it's been as you mentioned a perfect storm of Hughes coming together you know we kind of saw the Hughes breakout starting to form last year but it felt like he had that another step to take and he absolutely crushed it this year and Nico Kishir for my money has been one of the more underrated players for a little while now and he really stepped into the light this year as well and and took even another step forward which is really great to see and I think you know props to the Devils management team because they've quietly amassed one of the better decors in the league um, over the past couple of years and a lot of it's been through trade and obviously they still have some very very big name prospects in the minors that you know they're going to be used to supplement this team and then you know if that wasn't all enough what I really loved is that they didn't say oh you know everything's coming together that's nice this is just you know kind of icing on the cake you know whatever we'll take our we'll take the extra and go with it no no no. they went out and got the biggest fish on the market Timo Meyer comes in you know, I think they gave up they gave up a really good trade package to get him. They didn't even have to give up a top prospect for it. But Timo Meyer really comes in and helps solidify uh this forward core that um, you know, just needed that one extra piece. It, it kind of felt like, you know, and and now they can run Thomas Tatar, Nico Hichier, Dawson Mercer, Timo Meyer, Jack Hughes, Jesper Bratt, uh Jesper Boquist, Eric Halla, Yegor Sharangovich, Miles Wood, Curtis Lazar. Nathan Bastian, um, you know, just an all-rounded team up front. Uh, yeah, I think this team will be a very, very difficult out because of how much speed and skill they can play with. Um, you know, the the one thing I will be interested to see as well is, and I missed Andre Pilat there, who is healthy. I don't know why he's not on the daily face of lineups, to be honest. But Pilat will bump probably a couple of those guys down as well. Um the other side of things, I think, for the New York Rangers, there's a lot to talk about them as well. The biggest thing I'm going to be curious on is how if they keep trying to use Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko in their top six, because and, and what Tarasenko and Kane can give for them, because you know they've come over and both of them have you know they've put some goals in, they, they've had some points, they haven't been brutal by any means. But at five on five, it does look like their better days are behind them in terms of driving play, anyways. Um, so you know how they. The, the Rangers are a unique team because I do think putting a guy like Tarasenko with Trocek and Panarin and, you know, Zibanejad's been so great this year and, and Kreider's such a good player that you can almost hide Patrick Kane's uh, deficiencies, let's say, defensively at five on five. Um, but how they're going to be used and if the Devils can expose that, I think will be the biggest question mark for me looking at both these teams forward cores in this series. I think that's without a doubt. I mean, the Rangers pretty much said we're going for it this year. I mean, maybe they didn't have to give up as much as maybe some thought that they would. Um, obviously, especially for Tarasenko, didn't really give much to speak of at all. But still, obviously, you know, we're going for it this year, adding those two pieces. You know, they grabbed Tarasenko and then, you know, seemed like, you know, maybe Patrick Kane wasn't happening. And then, you know, out of nowhere, you know, prior to the deadline, he ends up with the Rangers. But you know, like you said, they haven't been, they definitely haven't been phenomenal to say the least. Um, you know, 
Tarasenko has, you know, scored in his first game. And then it was like almost that, you know, got off to a hot start and then kind of tailed off. And Patrick Kane has been pretty inconsistent throughout, you know, most of his time in New York so far. But I, I'm really intrigued to see, much like last year in a couple of the series, um, you know, that that third line, the kids line really you know, came through for them. Uh, Seidel, Capo Caco, Lafreniere, all three of those guys really had their moment, so to speak, especially Seidel had a really strong playoffs last year. And, you know, I'll be interested to see if he can build on that. I think, you know, in a series like this, I think it's going to be essential for that third line and, you know, maybe how they mix Kane and Tarasenko around like is Kane going to stay on that top line I I mean the way he's played probably doesn't deserve to but uh, it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing how they kind of configure things but I think that third line that kids line is going to I think is going to be essential much like it was last year where they kind of they kind of grew up I don't think I don't think a lot of people expected that kind of production um throughout the playoffs last year and you know that consistency and then you know Seidel had a nice 45 point season this year was solid I think that's going to be huge for them and you know this is this has the potential definitely to be a long series so it's going to be interesting to say the least yeah absolutely I think you know that kid line is going to be the X factor at five on five for them, because, you know, this devil's team is so good analytically when it comes to five on five play, whether again, it's your shot metrics, your, your possession metrics, all, all those good things. They're right up there with Carolina for top two, three in the league. And, um, you know, so we know they're a strong five on five team. And again, mentioning the, the deficiencies maybe of Kane and, and Tarasenko there, and even Panarin, you know, Panarin's still an absolutely amazing player, but he's not the player he was four four years ago when he was right in that MVP conversation necessarily right so that that kid line is going to be huge at five on five to see if they can not only play to evens but probably need to outplay some of the new jersey depth if they're getting you know third line matchups or whatever um so i I definitely agree there and then you know you you keep going down the lineup uh the reason again I, i like both these teams is i really like both these defense cores um or at least pieces of it as well you know um you know you look at the New Jersey, and they got Dougie Hamilton, Damian Severson, Jonas Siegenthaler, um, um, Luke Hughes is drawing in the lineup. I, I'm not sure how much he'll play. Kevin Ball, Brendan Smith, you know, it, it's uh, just a, a bunch of uh, Ryan Graves is there as well. He wasn't on, uh, and John Marino, sorry, I'm missing as well. So honestly, Marino and Graves will probably bump out Smith. And Hughes, that, that'll be the interesting one, I think. Kevin Ball will probably sit out, but I could see him and Hughes rotating in that third uh, left D spot. But, you know, you got a mix of Hamilton, Graves, Siegenthaler, Severson, um, John Marino, and then maybe Brendan Smith or Luke Hughes. Um, so they have a lot of options. And then you, you look at the New York Rangers side, Adam Fox is an absolute stud. One of the top three defensemen in the league for my money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Ryan Lindgren is a perfect partner for him. You know, doesn't do too much, but it's just nice and, and responsible in his own end and, you know, knows who the star is on that pair, but a perfect fit. Ke'Andre Miller has been quietly one of a really solid defense, defenseman as well. And, and Jacob Truba, probably not worth the $8 million they're paying him, but he's not a bad defenseman anyways. If he's your third, fourth best defenseman, you're still, you're still doing all right. And then, you know, Braden Schneider and Nico Mikola on the third, 
pair. I don't love that as much, but you know, the, the, the top four is going to play so much. It almost doesn't matter. So, um, you know, do you give an edge to either of these defense core? Do you think they're going to play, you know, how big of a factor do you think either one can have in terms of swaying the difference here one way or the other? I do think it's going to be, it's definitely going to decide a good amount. I probably give the slight edge to the Rangers core. I just, I said their top four is just tremendous. I think, you know, your bottom pairing, they're going to play sparingly anyway. You know, the nature of the beast with the playoffs for the most part. Those, you know, your top three, four defensemen are going to play those heavy minutes. And in a series like this, it's going to be so closely contested. I think you're going to see even more like you might see, you know, Adam Fox, Keandre Miller, those guys double shifting it potentially and, you know, getting more run out there, Um, you know, but I mean, Adam Fox is just, he, he's unreal. I feel like I don't want to say forgotten, but I don't think he gets the just due from, you know, from around the league as he should. I mean, he does have a um, Norris trophy under his belt. He, has had a great career out of the gate, but um, I just think he's just such an elite piece on that top defensive pairing. And I think what him and Lindgren are able to do is going to be, it's probably going to be paramount to this series, really, if they're able to, you know, kind of help them slow down the top line or two for New Jersey, which is obviously going to be incredibly lethal and incredibly deep. So I just, I think, the Rangers decor is going to be a little more essential to how this it series is decided. Yeah, I think that's fair. And yeah, with Adam Fox, he probably um, is impacted the most by just how good Kale McCarr is, because I think, you know, you take away Kale McCarr and I think there's a good argument for Adam Fox to be number one, but because Kale McCarr is so good, you know, it feels like he almost slides back into the fold sometimes, which he, he definitely shouldn't because yeah, he, he's easily one of the best defensemen in the league. Um, and then, yeah, the, the other thing about this Rangers team that is uh, absolutely dangerous, and, you know, I mentioned how good New Jersey was at five on five. This Rangers power play is really good as well. You know, they create, I think it was the third most expected goals at, at, on the power play and, and the first more sh- the first amount of shot attempts as well, even more than the Oilers, which obviously that, that makes some sense because the Oilers just score on such a high rate of their chances because they're absolutely disgusting. But um, this is a power play that you definitely don't want to let go to work because, you know, um, um, even, you know, when, when you know, we mentioned Tarasenko and Kane not looking their best, that's a place where I'm still not going to give them too many chances in a series, even if they haven't looked like their prime selves over the course of the regular season. Um, so that's one thing I think to keep in mind as well. But then you go to the goaltending matchup, and and this is where I think I'm still really comfortable if I'm the New York Rangers. You know, uh, you got Igor Shosturkin, who was had one of the best goals, solo goalie performances we saw of any year last year um you know obviously wasn't quite as good this year but was still very very strong um and, and you know you got to feel confident with him in that on the other end of things um you have uh Mackenzie Blackwood I'm assuming will be backing up because I'm guessing Vitek Vanacek will be getting the starting role they really liked how he played this year um Vanacek had a good year, you know, no disputing that 9-11 save percentage 2-4 goals against average played 52 of their games but I think it's fair to say, you know, this is the first time we're going to see him go into the playoffs as a legitimate starter. What can he bring? And I think it's more than fair to say that they're definitely a little outmatched when it comes to uh, goaltending here. Yeah, I think that's 
definitely the biggest area of a series where the Rangers have far and away a distinct advantage. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, Shesterkin, like you said, wasn't wasn't quite as elite this year, but was still extremely good and you know, still down the stretch came up huge for the Rangers time and time again. You know, when you have a Vesna caliber goaltender in your crease, I mean, you're going to have a distinct advantage most of the time anyway. But with the fact that the Devils, yeah, they're probably going to start Vanek, but at the same time, you know, neither him or Blackwood has really done it before in the playoffs. So what are you going to get? You just you just don't know. Are there going to be any jitters, anything thing like that? You just never know from a mental standpoint what, you know, what some of these goalies are going to look like that have never had this opportunity before. And, you know, kind of same throughout the in most of the Devils roster. A lot of these guys don't have that playoff experience being so young. So that's going to be kind of an interesting storyline to watch as well from, you know, just that mental standpoint, you know, if they get down early, you know, is whoever's in that going to get rattled? Is, you know, their strategy going to change? Like, you know, you just never know with guys that don't have that experience. So that'll be something definitely that uh, I'll be keeping an eye on. Yeah, 100%. Um, anything else you want to touch on the series? Anything else that, you know, really interests you or you think we're, we covered it all here? I think for the most part, I mean, I feel like – this is definitely one that's going to be, like I said, it's going to be a long series for sure. So um, I think it's got the potential to be there for there to be a ton of goals for there'll be a lot of offense. And, you know, I think it's just going to be, you know, can Patrick Kane and Tarasenko step up and shown more than they have? Because, I mean, this is why they were brought to New York for this playoff run. That's, you know, why New York kind of put all their eggs in that in the basket for those two players and bring them over because, you know, I mean, this was a team that was just two wins away from the Stanley Cup final last year and uh, before losing four straight to Tampa. And then they, you know, kind of completely retool, add sure check, make these moves in season. And, you know, if they're if they come up short again or you know, say we're ousted by the devils, that would be a colossal disappointment, I think, for them. Yeah, absolutely. Give me your uh, series prediction. Do you think they will be ousted, or do you think they, they make it through? I am, I like to think of myself as the CBS Rangers truther. Um, I, th- I think they're going to pull it out. I think it's going to be in seven. I think the Rangers take it in seven. Um, I think it comes down to that seventh game and they get a big game from Shesterkin and kind of shuts the door uh, like a two, one type scenario and uh, the Rangers escape, but it's definitely going to be a tight series. I have no doubt about that. I won't be surprised if the Devils somehow are able to come away with it, but I'm going to lean the Rangers side and say, they'll get it done in seven. I I'm so torn on this series, man. I could see either team winning six or seven. I definitely agree. It's going to go the distance. I Everything about me wants to say devils, except for the fact that then I'm probably going to be picking mostly favorites. And I know that's not how it works out in terms of higher seeds. So 
I'm going to go Rangers in six. I think the goaltending matchup is going to be what really does the Devils in. Um, you know, again, it's I, I I could absolutely see the Devils winning in six as well. But I, I'm going to say Shesterkin has a, an amazing series like we saw him have so many times last year. Steals a couple games by himself, and then the uh, the Rangers offense takes over for a few more. So I'll, I'll go Rangers in six. Yeah, I mean, I just think, again, just I'm not going to be surprised one way or the other. I just, in a situation like this, I'm just more inclined to lead with the experience side and the fact that the Rangers have far and away the better goaltender. I mean, I think, you know, Vanek has played well this year and even Blackwood has had, you know, some games where he's played well, but I just think I'm going to depend on I'm going to trust in a guy like Igor Shesterkin. I'm going to trust in the fact that the Rangers have that deep offensive core as well and the strong defense. And I just think they're just going to be a little bit too much. And I think that experience is going to just get them across the finish line. Yeah, absolutely. All right. On to our uh, fourth and final series of the Eastern Conference. And honestly, this one, I think if you took away all history of both teams and, you know, it was just what we saw this season. We could not remember anything that's happened in any past year. To me, this would be one of the more lopsided picks, I think, for anyone out there, just based on the teams on paper, what they've done solely this year. However, obviously, we cannot do that, and we have to take in, you know, all the off-ice stuff, all the past history, and the Toronto Maple Leafs will play host to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Toronto kind of quietly finished with 13 more points than the Tampa Bay Lightning this year. Uh, it was close for a little while. Toronto really pulled out at the end. 50-21-11 with a plus 57 goal differential, 279-4, 222 against. Tampa Bay, 46-30-6, and six, uh, 98 points, 283 goals for, 254 against. Uh, let up more goals uh, than they're used to against for sure this year, plus 29 goal differential. Um Again, like if you were just looking at this strictly on paper in terms of how the results have come this year, these two teams are not exactly close, but I expect this to be a damn close series. Uh, and just, you know, especially after watching last year's, I don't know how you can, you can really think otherwise, you know? I've always felt that as soon as you're going to, you know, kind of cast aside the Tampa Bay Lightning, that's when they kind of rise to the occasion. This team is way too good year in and year out. We've seen it you know, three straight Stanley Cup final appearances, back-to-back cups. This is a team I'm never counting out. If you're looking at it, Toronto, I think you can say, is has been the better team throughout the year. And, you know, the Maple Leafs most years probably have a shot at winning a division title, but obviously Boston is was ridiculous, so that wasn't happening. But this this team was was great throughout the majority of the regular season, you know, Mitch Marner having a career year, almost a hundred point season, you know, really establishing himself as a very strong playmaker. I mean, we've seen it, you know, in stretches in the past, but he just was almost on another level this year. And, you know, when you look at a guy like Austin Matthews, who had such a big year last year, the fact that he only scored 40 goals seems like a disappointment, which seems ridiculous to say, but when you have a guy that's that talented and, you know, maybe you think that way, but I just think the Maple Leafs, they're, they're just going to be hungry. I think there's like, as much as we get sick of talking about 
six straight years, not getting out of the first round, haven't won a playoff series since 2004. Like, how sick do you think they are of hearing hearing that year in and year out? Like, they eventually are just – I feel like this is it. This is the time where they're really going to be able to break through. It's going to be a tight series. I don't think there's any doubt because Tampa's too – you know, they're too talented, have too many of those veterans that are, you know – they're not going to allow a letdown. And at the end of the day, they have a phenomenal goalie in Vasilevsky that we've seen, you know, rise to the occasion time and time again. So this is going to be, it's going to be a really fun series. Um, and, you know, one that is probably going to be pretty lengthy, I think, even though the Maple Leafs do look like the better team. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where, as you said, you cannot count Tampa out until we actually see them in action. And, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't say that this is probably the weakest they've looked in a number of years, just naturally due to age, salary cap. And let's be honest, playing back to back to back Stanley Cup finals is absolutely taxing on the body. You know, you're going into late June every single year and without much of an off season then. So um, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what they come out with. Um yeah, so Mike, uh, Chase McCallum is the co-host of this podcast usually, and he is a big Maple Leafs fan. So it is a, a common talking point on this podcast. And I just, I feel like every year I fall in this damn trap where I go, this is their year. And, you know, I say this as an Ottawa Senators fan, I love what the Maple Leafs did at the deadline and they always disappoint. So I cannot imagine actually caring about this team than how disappointing that is. And I'm going to fall into the trap again this year because Again, I've loved what they've done at the deadline in terms of rounding out their team forever. It was, oh, they're all offense. There's not enough defense. No, no, no. This is like, obviously it's not an elite unit, but this is a very solid team defensively, you know, especially a team defense is what I like to really hit on too. You know, like just individually that the exact players aren't going to make up the most elite unit in the the league, but they've done a much better job at even playing their forwards much defensively. I really like TJ Brody. He's super underrated. Um, You know, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the pairings here where it'll be probably some combo of McCabe, Brody, obviously got Morgan Riley in the mix there, Justin Hall, uh, Mark Giordano is going to be an anchor on that third pairing or like that, like locking down the third pairing, not anchor isn't bad. Um, And then I think they're going to probably mix in. It'll be between Lilligren, Hall and and Shen as guys who rotate through the lineup, you know, as those last two pairs on uh, the right side. So um, but again, I, I just really like what they did. And then when he goes to their depth forward for, for forward addition, uh, additions, Ryan O'Reilly, Nola Chari, Zach Aston Reese, like it's just all very, very solid pickups in terms of, you know, guys who play a different style. I'm, I don't want to say all in on this team, but again, like I just, I, I, I totally understand why their fans should feel good about this roster. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any reason not to besides like you said if you just don't know the past you just take that completely out of the record why wouldn't you think this is the better team i don't think there's any reason to suggest that not to say that the lightning are a bad team by any stretch because obviously this is still a veteran team a very good team with you know playmakers up and down their roster they're well coached by john cooper they're you know they've done it time and time again but Something something is telling me that this year is different for Toronto. Maybe that's just foolish because, uh, like you said, I thought the very same last year. I was, you know, all in, thought they had it in the bag. And then, you know, Tampa Bay just shows why they've been to 
three consecutive Stanley Cup finals. So I think it's it's really going to come down to, um, you know, if is this kind of where the lightning start to break down? Do you see kind of, you know, cracks in the foundation, so to speak? Um, you know, Toronto has the talent where this this could be over and, you know, they could win it in five or six games. They have the talent to do that, I think. Not to say that they will, because I I think it's going to be a much tighter series than that. But I just think up and down that roster, they're they're just so consistent. And when you look at the defense, I think when you've got a guy like Mark Giordano, sure, he's 39 years old. He's not, you know, what he used to be, obviously, but he's still solid. And if you have a guy like that could could even in a pinch step you know step up into that top four and you know play those meaningful minutes you know especially late in games when they're going to need it I think you know against a team like Tampa he's going to be he's going to be more of an x factor I think than people probably would admit yeah Jake Jake McCabe too is another guy I think like that where you know I think um you know you're probably not going to notice him on the score sheet too much but when it gets to those last two two and a half minutes you're going to see a lot of those two names out on the ice you know killing the last especially if Toronto has a lead they're they're going to be killing some time in, the, in their own end and you know that that's something they didn't have maybe last year and um the biggest x factor for me on the other side of things for Tampa Bay is uh, actually Victor Hedman you know which sounds weird everyone knows who Victor Hedman is he's a household name but he hasn't played quite up to Victor Hedman's standards this year you know he hasn't been awful by any means but he hasn't been that elite Norris winning defenseman that we have seen for the better part of a decade now to be honest right so can you know is it just a thing where oh, he wasn't he was taking it a little more easy during the the regular season you know obviously so much playing time it's kind of hard to dial it up maybe for all 82 games or and and can he just go back to that normal victor Hedman for a seven game playoff series or you know is it a kind of thing where this season is just kind of a war on him and he's just you know not his season and you know can can toronto take advantage of that because uh, he's got to take a step up, I think is fair to say, from what he's done in the regular season. Again, not that he was bad in the regular season, but he wasn't the Victor Hedman that we've come to know and love. No, I completely agree. I mean, I think when you have a Victor Hedman, a guy that's you know been one of the top defensemen in the league for so long, a you know, guy that has won the Conn Smythe, a guy that has done it all. And if you look at this Toronto you know, top six, you've got, you know, Marner, Matthews, all these guys that are so talented, like Hedman is going to have to, you know, he's going to have to be physical. He's going to have to, you know, do his best to shut down these guys. And he's going to be playing, you know, extended minutes, obviously throughout this series. And if he's, you know, not maybe quite up to par, I think Tampa's in trouble. I think that's a scenario that, definitely you know i wouldn't say is likely but at the same time i wouldn't be surprised if you know toronto could come out and you know kind of get a stranglehold on the series if they could you know win the first game convincingly and you know kind of um capitalize on that home ice advantage i think that's going to go a long way towards deciding the series yeah absolutely it's uh they they got to come out hot you know and i mean um, I think that's the best way for Toronto and 
it's funny because they've been on all these elimination games and just haven't mailed the, you know, flip heads necessarily and get over the hump. But the best way to avoid that is don't go to an elimination game, just beat them in five or six, you know, and, and yeah, come out and take two games at home and then take one at the road and, and take that strangled three, one series going back into Toronto with you. So um, no, I, I definitely agree. I think the other thing to keep an eye on for Toronto, and I want to pick your brain on, you know, obviously they have Matthew Nyes who's coming out of college and he was a Hobie Baker finalist this year. Yeah, had a couple looks with Toronto end of the year. I got to see one of his games and thought he looked all right. He, he looked, you know, not surprising. I think he's 21, 22 now. So he looks a little more NHL ready than the guys say like Nick Robertson did a couple of years ago. Um, you know, would you put Nick uh, Matthew Nyes in this lineup for the playoffs when they begin on uh, Tuesday for this team? Um, and do you think they actually will? You know, it, it does that differ at all from what you would do versus what you think might happen? I think... Um... It's kind of tough to say. I think I think he'll definitely play. How much I think is what is going to be interesting kind of like kind of like with Luke Hughes with New Jersey a little bit. Just he's only got a couple games under his belt. Like are are you going to put a guy out there that doesn't have a ton of experience right out of the gate? But then again, you know, he's looked fine, you know, just had, had an assist the other night was solid. So I think I think he'll play some. The amount is, I feel like, kind of to be determined. That's what I'll be interested to see. Um, I do think I would put him out there. I'd probably put him down on like the third line, a situation like that where there's not as much pressure maybe um, on him. You know, when you get up into that top top six, obviously a lot's going to be expected of him. And for you know, with twenty year old kid, that's a lot um, coming out of the gate. So I think. I think he's definitely going to play and, but I think I would say I'd probably slot him in outside of that top six, just, you know, as he gets his feet wet and then, you know, if he's kind of tearing it up, I think then you'd feel better about elevating him, you know, maybe into one of those wing spots, you know, say on the second line. Yeah. That's what's so interesting about this team is I'm going to be really, Really curious to see what they do with their lines because I, I still think that they optimally want to go with Matthews, Tavares, O'Reilly down the middle. I, I think, you know, they've obviously used O'Reilly or um, Tavares on the wing a little bit and played him with O'Reilly. But I, I think they brought him in to have that idea of O'Reilly's going to lead, uh, lead a shutdown line on that third line with Callie Yarncroak and then whoever, maybe it's Nolachari or, or Alexander Kerfoot or whatever. And that's where, you know, it kind of leaves Matthew nice to have the second second line left wing spot open. But as you said, like, that's a lot of pressure for a young kid to step in and play his fourth and fifth NHL games as a left winger to say probably John Tavares and Matt, uh, William Nylander. But it's almost a little boomer bust in terms of the way of if he does hit and can use his body to be effective, you know, you get a really dangerous top six of Bunting, Matthews, Marner. And then if knees can even just be, you know, just an okay guy, he doesn't need to be putting up point per game or anything, but just a guy who can help get Tavares and, and especially Nylander that puck and let and distribute for them. And you'll make a play like we saw with his assist that could almost open up the third line to go of O'Reilly. I would assume they put Yarncroke there. And then I don't know whoever the, Sam Lafferty might be playing there as a defensive guy, but that would be their quote unquote shutdown line. I think against that point stamp goes line up top for Tampa. And then, you know, you have a fourth line that would have probably feature like Alexander Kerfoot, Zach Aston Reese and David camp on it. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good embarrassment of riches up front, but it all kind of hinges 
on Matthew Nyes, you know, being the guy that he can be, because if not, he probably got to slide Kerfoot up to that second left wing spot. You know, if Nyes is in the lineup, then he's playing a fourth line role again. How much is he going to be effective? Maybe he can be, I'm not sure. But that's why, you know, this team out of any with a prospect like this is so intriguing to me because they have so many different ways they can set up their lineup. And I just kind of wonder which way they go with it. Yeah, I think it's going to be incredibly interesting. I mean, it's it's almost as though, like you said, an embarrassment of riches. It's it's kind of crazy how much depth this team has, you know, up and down their group of forwards. I mean, if you've got a guy like Zach Aston Reese on the fourth line, if you're sliding, sliding Kerfoot down, potentially if knees, you know, busts out out of the gate and just looks great. I mean, that's just that's pretty ridiculous when you think about it. And I think Tampa's, you know, third, fourth line would probably be a little overmatched. I would say um, in those puck battles, you know, on the four check, that kind of thing. Um, And I think Toronto would have that clear advantage there. So I do believe that it is possible that Toronto runs away with the series. Will it happen? I mean, you know, we'll see, but, I think the talent is certainly there for the Maple Leafs. Again, they're sucking us in, but I, I, I do believe in this team. And I just think the talent is through the roof more so than I think it's been at any point in the last couple of years where everybody has kind of jumped on the bandwagon. But I think now, I think you can honestly say, you know, without blinders on anything that this team, this team is for real. Yeah, absolutely. And again, obviously the biggest X factor like heading series is going to be goaltending. And we know what Vasilevsky can do. That's why I don't, you know, I haven't really bothered to talk about it because we just, we know how good he is. He showed it last year where he was pretty pedestrian in that first round through four games. And then game six and seven rolled around. He went, nope, I'm not going to let in a goal. He let in one, I think over the six periods they played. So, you know, he can turn it on like that. Samsonov on the other end. I don't know why people have been so worried about the Leafs goaltending all year. It's all, will Matt Murray be healthy? Who cares? Matt Murray's not their starter. I don't even think he should be their backup at this point. Samsonov has been the man all year. He's been solid. Is he going to beat Vasilevsky in terms of like pure saves one-on-one? Probably not. But if he can give you 9-15, 9-14 goaltending, just be very average, save the pucks he needs to stop, maybe stop the occasional one you, you want him to stop here or there. That's perfectly fine, you know, like, and he has done more than that this year. Like Samson has been really good this year. Um, Again, I don't think he's going to outduel Vasilevsky or anything, but with the roster advantage that I think Toronto has, they just need Samson to be good. And um, so that that's why, that's kind of how I feel about the goal that I don't know if you feel any different. No, I, I completely agree, actually. I mean, Vasilevsky is Vasilevsky. We, we know what he's done when Tampa's backs have been against the wall, you know, throughout the playoffs the last couple of years. Anytime, um, you know, even in the game seven scenario last year, I, I like Toronto's chances even in a must win situation, but then, you know, every push comes to shove and Andre Vasilevsky is Andre Vasilevsky. He's one of the best goalies in the world for a reason. And, um, if you take it to the other side, I mean, I think everybody can probably agree that this is the last hurrah for Matt Murray. He's not, he, I think this is it. I mean, he had every opportunity this year. Obviously, Toronto brings in both him and Samson off because you know, have a competition and see what's what. Um, and go from there with Campbell leaving town. So, 
But I, I mean, Samsonov has been far and away the better option, and he showed flashes of it when he was in Washington too. I mean, he's he's a very talented young goalie. Uh, I mean, you know, mid twenties now, obviously, but um, you know, has always shown that potential. And I think, like you said, he's not going to have to do too much. He's not. This team is talented enough where I think they're going to put a they'll put some goals up. As good as Andre Vasilevsky is, I think they'll put some pucks in the net. And Samsonov, I don't think, is going to ever have to stand on his head, so to speak. So I think that's he he should be in net every game, barring barring injury. There should be no reason to see Matt Murray, hopefully for for Leafs fans in this series. Yeah, and how like honestly, Joseph Walls played so good in a very small sample, obviously. That you know, I think Toronto probably even yeah. feels comfortable if he has to play a minute. I mean, obviously, you want Samsonov to run with it, but. Um, I'm going to go Leafs in six. I, I just, I, I don't want to bet on them winning a damn elimination game. <laughs> Winner takes all games. So I'm going to say they avoid the game seven, but they beat them in six. Uh, they take it there. What, what are you seeing for this series? I um, hate to be right on point, but I, I agree completely. I'm, I'm going Leafs in six. I'm, and I think like I've said they're, I do believe that the Leafs are far and away the better team. And, you know, while Vasilevsky is very good and does scare me. I think I think the Maple Leafs are talented enough that they'll be able to get this done in six. I just don't um, I don't see it going seven. And I think this team is it's just it just feels different this year. And I think they'll get it done in six this time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Leaf fans are definitely screaming at their uh, phones right now listening to this, saying, no, 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 make us the underdogs, please. But um, (laughs) no, Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. This is a really good recap of the East. And um, anything you want to plug or where where can people find you and everything you do? Yeah, um, you just go find um, mostly everything I do at CBSSports.com on our NHL tab. And you can follow me on Twitter at CBengel, B-E-N-G-E-L, CBS. Awesome. And uh, anyone else wants to find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. You can also find my other podcast, the last word on Sends podcast, wherever you're listening to this one I'll have a new episode coming out next week as this is this will be coming out Saturday. Next one will be coming out uh, next week, reviewing the Senators season uh, and grading each player uh, for their performance. So make sure you keep your eyes out on that. You can find it all on lastwordonhockey.com as well as some uh, playoff previews. I'll be covering the Tampa Bay and Toronto series, so I'll be previewing and analysis. Uh, analyzing and recapping that series as it goes along. Make sure you check all that out. And Chase can be found on Twitter at CMHockey66, all his work at theactionnetwork.com. So thank you everyone so much for listening. If all goes to plan, this one will be out Saturday and we will be back at you with the Western Conference preview on Monday morning.